Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 518 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm David Barr Kirtley, author of the book Save Me Please and Other Stories, which is available now on Amazon.com. We had a great conversation about the book back at episode 500, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And I want to give a special thank you to Amazon Customer, who just gave the book a five-star review on Amazon.com. It says, Superb, thought-provoking, entertaining short story collection. A solid, enjoyable science fiction, fantasy, and horror short story collection. I enjoyed each and every story. It's hard to pick favorites, but of particular merit are The Second Rat... Power Armor A Love Story, and They Go Bump. All have slightly slanted views of familiar topics. All linger pleasingly in the mind. Excellent short story collection. So big thanks again to Amazon Customer for that great review. And our guest today is Emery Emery. He edited the popular comedy documentary The Aristocrats. And he's also worked as an editor and producer on other documentaries, such as Heckler with Jamie Kennedy, The Green Room with Paul Provenza, and Play Dead, featuring Teller from Penn & Teller. Emery is also an accomplished stand-up comedian, whose comedy CD, The Purveyor of Filth, has been called everything from brilliant twisted ramblings to the sick scratchings of an obviously sociopathic malcontent. He's also an outspoken atheist and skeptic, and together with his partner Heather Henderson, he launched the long-running podcast The Ardent Atheist and Skeptically Yours. And in this interview, we'll be discussing his new documentary, Science Friction, about scientists who give TV interviews about their research, only to discover to their horror that the interviews have been edited to make it look like the scientists are promoting fringe ideas such as UFOs, lake monsters, and Atlantis. And now here's our interview with Emery Emery. All right, so we're here with Emery Emery. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, David. Okay, so your new movie is called Science Friction. So how'd that come about? Well, um, the producer uh, had an idea to... uh go record a bunch of scientists so we could talk about how science is represented or their science is represented in the media. And uh, he he knew my work uh, on many other things, and uh, he wanted me to do it. And um, I loved the idea. I think that we have a major problem with what the media does with science, and uh, I was on board instantly. And that's Brian Dunning, right, the producer? That's the guy. Yeah. It's actually, I'm actually a big fan of his Skeptoid podcast, and actually he was the fifth guest that I ever interviewed on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, I love his podcast. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think he does some of the best work with regard to correcting misinformation and disinformation out there. Mm-hmm. So how did you know, how did you meet him in the first place? Oh, the skeptic community. You know, I used to do a couple of podcasts, atheist uh, podcast and a skeptic podcast. Um, and uh, I had had him on. I knew him personally. He used to live here in L.A. area. He was down in Orange County at one point. And uh, yeah, I knew him personally. We were we've been friends for many years. Mm-hmm. So how did you start? How did you get involved in the skeptic community in the first place? Well, uh, it really was the atheist thing that kicked me off. I, I started a podcast called uh, Ardent Atheist. Uh, I wanted to talk about religion and how awful and evil religion is. And uh uh, you know how if we don't if, if religion goes unchecked, they will one by one uh, strip away all of our rights and you know turn us into a Sharia law kind of state. Um, looks like I was right about that, and uh, nothing we can do uh, to stop it. Even voting doesn't seem to help. <laughs> but I started with ardent atheist, and uh, and then I wanted to do a separate podcast where we didn't focus on the religion; we just focused on misinformation and lies. And so we started skeptically yours. And uh, that was it. The the atheism thing. I've been I've been very uh, uh, ardent about uh, <laughs> most most of my life. Uh, you know, I'm someone. I'm polyamorous. I'm bisexual, um, and I'm an atheist. And I just knew. I just I could see uh, that that the world doesn't accept different kinds of thinking. Um, uh, and, and the United States definitely needs some, uh, some wake up calls with regard to this. A buddy of mine is on America's got talent right now. He's polyamorous and they, 
they did a little package explaining that he's polyamorous and the 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 messages that people leave on Facebook is where I saw it were heinous, pure hate, purely because he's polyamorous. It's just sickening. Um, uh, so these things are very, very important to me, and that's why I got into it. Yeah, I'll just explain if you're listening to this in the future. We're recording this. The Roe vs. Wade was just repealed by the Supreme Court just 48 hours ago. So that's uh, no one's going to be listening to this in the future. We have no future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's that. I mean, so um, okay, so so you've done these um, these two podcasts, the atheist one and the skeptic one. Did you one of them you did with, or maybe both with Heather Henderson? Yeah, yeah, my partner. We live together. Uh, she's uh, uh, she's my live-in partner, and uh, yeah, we did them together. She's a great talent. So, how did you two sort of get to know each other? I was commenting on Penn Jillette's, uh Twitter and Facebook accounts, and she was friends with Penn Jillette. She lived at the time over in Philadelphia, um, actually at that point in New Jersey. And uh, uh, I decided to post uh, a full month. Every day I posted something true and awful about Mother Teresa. <laughs> and uh, apparently that made her panties wet. And... Uh, she reached out to me and started flirting with me. I'll never forget one night we were, we've been chatting for months. And then one night she goes, uh, she was definitely flirting. She was definitely hitting on me. And I said, I, I listen, I appreciate you flirting with me. That's nice. But, uh, I live in LA, you know, I'm interested in people who live near me. She goes, um, I'm planning to move to LA in a month. And I said, what are you wearing? <laughs> so, uh, that was how our relationship began. Uh-huh. So, so what just, so, and how long did you do those, those two podcasts for? Oh, four or five years. Uh-huh. And so yeah. do you have, do you have any like memory, like uh memorable moments that stick out from, from doing those podcasts? Um, God, we did so many. It's so hard to answer that question. Um, and it's been so long I, I we haven't done them in four or five years now. Um, uh, my, you know, we had so many great, interviews on that podcast but one of my favorites i suppose when was when we were at tam which is uh, i don't remember what tam stands for the amazing, amazing meeting, meeting. Yeah. thank you um tam uh in vegas and we got the opportunity to interview neil degrasse tyson and all i can tell you about that interview that i remember uh first of all it was just amazing to be in the same room with with tyson that guy's uh, he's a He's a heavyweight, hence the name, I presume. And it was amazing to be in the room with him. But we got him, and I don't remember. Um, uh, I don't remember the circumstances, or I would share it with you. But we got him to say the f word, and that's not <laughs> easy. <laughs> Did you ever have anyone um, listen to your podcast and say you've? Yeah, I've changed my mind about oh yeah. religion or yeah. I mean, mostly. What we had was people who around the country and around the world who were in the closet about their atheism. And the, 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 the most common email we got was, thank you for this sense of community that you're offering. Um, that was, that was the big one, but we absolutely had people write into us and say, you opened my eyes. I went and read the book. That was the thing I beat the, I beat the drum of, you know, reading the book is the best way uh, to become an atheist. Uh, it will make you an atheist. If you genuinely read the book, uh, yeah, the Bible, if you read the Bible, that's what will make you an atheist. If you sit in a pew and you let some jagoff tell you what to think based on the Bible, you don't know what you're doing. You, you, you're taking one man's word for what the Bible says and means. But if you read the Bible yourself, you'll find that it's chock full of, just horrific advice. It's chocked full of contradictory claims. It's absolutely insane when you genuinely read the Bible. Uh, Bible thumpers uh, are the problem. They, they thump it. They need to actually read it. So did you have any sort of noteworthy run-ins with uh, people who strongly disagreed with you? The biggest one I had was with an old comedy friend. And he came on the show and he wanted to argue against homosexual lifestyle. And um, 
at one point, he actually gave us the slippery slope argument, you know, what's next and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I remember really calling him out on the illogic of, of, of that argument. Um, uh, you know, I, I said, first of all, you're, you're suggesting that because someone's homosexual, they would want to have sex with a dog. And that's fundamentally flawed. Uh, it's, it's logically completely bankrupt. There's nothing in there, uh, in that idea that holds any real water or any has any value. And you're, you're literally, you're, you're making these people into animals. You're lowering them to animals. And that isn't uh, accurate. And it's also not Christian. And his response was, well, listen, I, I don't know the best arguments. You do this for a living. All I know is how I feel. And I'm like, <laughs> and I, I, I lost a friend to that argument. It really, it really sucked. Um, uh, I was ready for all of his, his talking points and, and I lost a friend to it, but, uh, yeah, good riddance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's interesting cause you know, I do podcasting professionally now and I do a science fiction podcast, but we talk a lot about skepticism and atheism sometimes. And it was really the atheist podcast that really got me into podcasting, you know, back around 2005 or so, like. I used to listen to a lot of the Bible geek and and stuff like that and um yeah and skeptoid and uh you know I really owe a lot to those uh to those atheist skeptic uh podcasts. Nice. Yeah, the the best thing that ever happened to ardent atheist was we won an award and the uh it was a podcast award. Um I'm walking over to grab that award so I can get it right here. This award was um, 2012 podcast awards um, religion and inspiration was the category <laughs> and and boy that really upset a lot of people <laughs> that an atheist podcast won the religious inspiration award um, and the worst part of it is they spelled atheist a t h i e s well, it was just so it was just so um, great for me when the when I discovered the atheist podcast because you know because I was an atheist my whole life and um, and there was just never anything on TV or you know in the newspaper or anything about it you know and so uh, it was like oh here's fin- finally stuff I agree with that uh, you know that uh, there's some somebody made a show for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah the uh, the atheist podcasts are important. I mean because when you I, I, lo- I what you just said you said you your whole life so you weren't even raised in any religious belief at all is that right that's correct yeah my, my parents are both scientists and so and they're both atheists and they sort of were kind of cagey about it when i was a kid you know they didn't say they would just say like oh well what do you believe you know but um but so i never but i never religion always seems like it didn't really make make sense at all to me so my whole life yeah that's because it doesn't you're thinking <laughs> It's funny though, because I did as a kid, I did believe in like Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster and Santa Claus and UFO abduction, and like I was into all that stuff. Uh, so uh, you know, it's not like I was completely, um, you know, rash. You know, had a completely rational scientific outlook. Uh. Well, atheism is only one point on which a skeptical mind can find reality or the truth. Uh, every single other claim is a different. Um, uh, discipline that needs to be investigated individually, UFOs, all of it. And uh, that's a lot of work. But uh, did you talk to your parents who were very scientifically minded about Bigfoot and Loch Ness <laughs> and all of those other things that you believe that are silly? Well, I, it was funny because we actually did a unit in school on the Loch Ness Monster. And I remember telling my parents about that and they were just like, what? <laughs> you know? Really? Um, but but the thing is, like, they both worked really long hours. And so I was, to a significant degree, I was raised, you know, by television. You know, so I just mm-hmm. watched so much TV. And all the TV shows were all, like, about UFO abductions and all this stuff. And so I just sort of, you know, and I, I was kind of like, well, if it's on TV, it must be true. You know, they wouldn't, all these people seem like experts and stuff, you know. And so so obviously this sort of goes into science friction, you know. But Absolutely. I was one of those people, you know, where... I would just be up late at night watching UFO abduction shows, and that was having a bigger influence on me than than my parents, probably. Did the psychics get you? 
<laughs> I don't I don't remember ever believing in psychics particularly. Yeah. I was maybe a little bit. But but were you uh, did you ever believe in uh UFO abduction or Bigfoot or any of that stuff? I believed in UFOs. Um and uh like your average person I presumed UFOs meant, you know, aliens flying them. Um I never really had anybody uh to to give me any information when I was younger that would help me negate those kinds of absurd stupidities. But uh uh you know, once I became atheist, then I became very skeptical of kind of everything and especially the lies I was told as a kid, you know. That was that was a big thing. I, I that that really woke me up. It, I, it made me realize I was raised by idiots, people who just didn't know reality properly, you know. And uh, like like I, you know, I, I guess the only good thing my absentee father ever said to me that that really planted a good a positive seed was he said when he was a kid, you know, his mother would say, "Eat the crust; it's where all the nutrients are." And, and then he said, of course, that's bullshit eating. The crust is the burnt part of the bread. That's no, there's no logic in that. So that, that planted a really nice seed. Um, and, and then, so I, so, so I, I started really trying to think from that perspective of all of these things I've been told by, by family members who raised me, all of them need to be questioned. And I started, you know, once the internet became available in the nineties, I started really looking at, at these things. And I always was, I, I had this almost antisocial nature where if, if I was told I had to do a thing a certain way, um, something, some wiring in me said, why? No, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's accurate. Uh, there's gotta be a better way. So, um, I'm pretty fortunate in the way I was wired that I was able to, break out of just bad thinking mm, but but so the religion that was kind of the first domino to fall and then once that fell the rest of it all kind of came down yeah after another yeah yeah I, I i was very inquisitive and and you know once i had internet i mean there was a time when i would go to the library and i would look things up to see if something that i was told that didn't seem to make sense was true um uh but that you know that that, that requires a lot more time uh personal time to invest to figure out the answer so uh, it wasn't until the internet came along that I was able to really kind of dive in and and answer questions in a more real time that uh, that my life started to turn around. But yeah, the atheism started me off, uh, and the skepticism followed, and then one by one, I would just knock down each one of these p- pillars of ignorance. I mean, a lot, I think a big part of it for me too is that I was so into science fiction, and at some point, you know, in my teens, I became aware that the UFO abduction stuff was sort of viewed with contempt by the serious science fiction writers, you know, that it just, you know, from a science fiction standpoint, doesn't really make any sense. Like, why would you, you know, when you just think about how much uh, resources it would take to mount an interstellar expedition, like, Uh why would you do that just to cruise around in the upper atmosphere, occasionally anally probing some, you know, like, it just like, what is the return on investment of that sort of thing? And you know, yeah. do they do they want to be detected or not? And if they do, why don't they just talk to people? And if they don't, don't they have spy satellites and stuff like that where they could remain, uh, you know, unknown? I mean, it, like, like why this sort of weird middle ground where they're just sort of cruising around the upper atmosphere? Just all that stuff from a science fiction standpoint just doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, well, when you understand the science of the universe, the then then the whole concept of of um, aliens making it to our planet. Uh, it doesn't make any sense that they would come here to make crop circles or to abduct people and shove stuff up our butts. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, what makes more sense is that massive um, numbers of ships would come here and, and try to destroy us so that they could have this livable earth. That's that's what makes more sense. Uh, Hawking, uh, he... he he put up a red flag for all of us saying we need to be careful what we're doing. We might be inviting annihilation. And I think he's right. I think that's the most logical way that we are going to encounter um, other life. Two, two, two real possibilities to me that are pretty equal is a, a force of, of desolation comes 
uh, or a scientific uh, uh, a scientific approach arrives to say, hey, we've been looking for life and we found you. Um, we just, you know, we just want to see how it works here. And uh, yeah, those are those are the two: scientific or uh, or attack. Yeah. Okay. And I think our first encounter, by the way, if we ever have one, I think it's unlikely we're ever going to have a first encounter ever. I don't think that's the only way we're going to have a first encounter is if we figure out how to uh, shed these bodies that that waste away in under eighty years, um, and uh, we can put our consciousness in something that can be maintained indefinitely, um, and then we can travel across the the stars for millions of years or billions of years and find other life or vice versa. That's, you know, when, when, when life arrives, it's most likely going to be in the form of machinery. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Or, or like very heavily genetically engineered to survive in, you know, I suppose, I mean, you know, the promise of lasting life in these little meat bags we're in seems really tenuous to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. AI is definitely the most likely. Yeah, and I was I was existentially thinking just the other day how what how do we how do we have an expiration date? Um, how can we live as long as we do fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty years, um, and and regenerate um, our cells? You know, our, our bodies change in X amount of years so so dramatically that we're not even what we originally were. You know, um, how. How is it it has to expire at this particular point? That that kind of that one's got me baffled. That's, I, I think about that a lot. Well, I just think from an evolutionary standpoint, once you're once you've procreated, uh, evolution doesn't really go past that, you know, because uh, you know. Well, turtles can live for hundreds of years. Sharks can live for hundreds of years. Hundreds. You know, so at the at the outside, I suppose we could figure out how to live a thousand plus years, maybe, but not not indefinite, not long enough to travel to traverse the stars and 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 meet up with another batch of living beings. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, we just should recruit the turtles. They're the ones who are going to have to have to do it for us, right? Um. All right, but so 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 Brian Dunning comes to you and says. I've got this great idea for a documentary, science friction, and then kind of like what happens from there. Uh, he did a fundraiser and we went to shooting. I mean, that really is all there is to tell you. We raised, he raised the money and I just started going out and taking cameras with Buck Bowen, my editor and my camera genius. And uh, uh, we went out there and started shooting interviews and uh, putting that, putting that film together. So in the movie, when um, when you see like Richard Dawkins or Michael Shermer, you were uh-huh. you were sitting there with them, talking to them. Yeah, or? yeah, we went and shot them. So had you met had you met them before? Or was that like a big thrill meeting people like that? Yeah, I, I met them years ago at TAM and things like that. Um, you know, we would be invited to go do our podcasts at various conventions, so I got to meet these folks a lot. And so, so I, I guess we we said right. The, so the premise of the documentary is that you have all these scientists, and a TV show will come to them and say, "We'd like to interview you because you're an expert." And they say, "Great!" And then they do a interview, and it all seems great. And then the show comes out, and it turns out to be ancient aliens, or you know, it, it, it's promoting some real pseudo scientific thing that they. Mm-hmm that they don't believe, but they're sort of very deceptively edited to, to make it seem like they are, (laughs) that they do believe in ancient aliens or lake monsters or, or all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I I would say, I would say probably everybody we, everybody we talked about in terms of productions, I would say that, that at least 95% of those folks making that stuff, knew they were making lies. That's what I think. I think they don't care. Um, they don't hold um, in high regard the truth. Uh, they hold in high regard uh, the money they earn from telling these lies, and that's what matters to them. They're not doing the world a favor by by convincing people of these uh, of these myths 
uh, as possible truths. It's it's sickening. It's why we made the film. Yeah, yeah, it's but, very clear watching the movie that that this is not happening by accident. I mean, and it's like shows like Animal Planet and Shark Week, you know, that you would think if your kids watching it, you're like, oh, this is educational, you know, and then they're actually being told that mermaids are real and and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. The best thing your parents could have done when they set you in front of a TV as a Gen Xer to let that thing raise you is to say, 99% of what you're watching on that television is fiction. If you want to know the truth, come ask us. That's the best thing parents can do if they're going to let their kids sit in front of the TV or in front of the internet. 99% of what you come across is not going to be true. Be aware of that and enjoy. But we don't do that either. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this mermaid show because, because so yeah, so this is on Animal Planet and it's made to look like a documentary, uh, you know, where and they have uh, actors that they've hired to pretend to be scientists and they're all it's all about how, yeah, like they found mermaids and here's like it's all like footage, but it's all special effects. But then at the end in the credits, there's like one line that, that briefly says, you know, some of some of this is fiction or something, you know, and it's just like, oh my god, it's just so weird. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if you blinked, you would have missed the disclaimer at the end. It's, it's just absolutely, it's, it's, it's wrong what they're doing. It's absolutely wrong. And I, I assume that you tried to interview the people who make these shows and they just had, they didn't want to admit. I had like two producers ready to tell me the truth and both of them backed down at the last minute. We offered to alter their voice and, and protect their visual identity you know like if you were um interviewing a mob boss and hmm. uh we offered to do those things uh and one of them was really excited about it and then at the end uh when i started really trying to nail down a date he just stopped responding they didn't want to risk losing their income they have to buy diapers for their kids and uh so they both of them just no way we we we, we thought it was a good idea but now we're afraid that's what happened Mm-hmm. Well, like so, so one of these scientists. This is probably the scientist that struck me the most. Is this guy Ken Fader? He's a an archaeologist, I think. Yeah, I think he's the linchpin superstar of the of the entire documentary, in my opinion. Fader just blew it out of the water, man. He gave us an amazing story. Uh, yeah, what what talk talk about that? What you what you how'd you feel about it? What'd you see? Yeah, well, well, so so basically, um, this this TV show comes to him and says, "Can you talk about Atlantis?" And he says, "Well, sure, I can talk about the legend of Atlantis. You know, I, I've read Plato, I, you know, etc." And they say, "Okay, but can you say we need you to say that you believe that Atlantis is real?" Right. And he says, "Well, I, I can't do that. You know, I I don't. It's it's a made up story by Plato." And they say, and 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 this, it sort of goes back and forth and back and forth with this producer. And it finally comes out basically that uh, this production company has been hired uh, and, and this Disney movie, you know, Atlantis, The Lost Empire or something, this animated feature movie is coming out and they just want there to be uh, this TV show out there that makes Atlantis look like a big deal. And so they want people saying, oh, it could be real. And so it's the whole, the whole thing is just he, he describes it as like a, a 90 minute infomercial for the the movie. You know, it's not a it's not really a, they're not interested in in the history at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And stop, let's stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, I mean, if you're going to go watch a cartoon about Atlantis, d- d- I, I, it, does it matter whether Atlantis is a real place or not? I mean, why why does a production think that it's going to make a difference if they make this 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 faux documentary, this mockumentary, mockery of documentaries, if they make this documentary uh, uh, and, and make the argument that they're real, why, why would that why would that matter? I, I just don't understand the, the thinking there. I don't need to believe that something is true to enjoy an entertainment version of a story that incorporates a myth. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, that's exactly right. And they even said, we'll give you cover. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. edit you in a way uh, where you can say to your colleagues, well, I didn't say it like that. They, they're, they're editing me dishonestly. They literally said they're going to edit him dishonestly and he can just tell people that. I just, it just blows my mind. And, and I love that, you know, Ken Fader is the great success story in the film. Ken Fader is the one who said, no, I'm sure you, 
have a job to do and you seem like a very nice guy, but uh, uh, I'm not putting my name out there uh, with this disinformation. So good luck to you. He's the one that walked away. And that's, to me, the success story. If you're a scientist and you know the truth and someone's trying to get you to tell a lie, the right thing to do is to stop there and say no. Because I, I heard you say in an interview, I think, that a lot of these scientists, you know, they'll, they'll go on these shows and then they'll be deceptively edited and then they'll go back and be on the shows again because they, they want to be on. This is their only chance they're ever going to have to be on TV. Is, yeah, it, it, you know. it's def- it definitely cuts both ways. I mean, I mean when, you, when you're getting the opportunity to talk about your passion and, and share your knowledge – uh, you you want to you do it. I mean, a lot of these people, their jobs, one of their, one of their job description is, uh, you know, science communicator. And you can't communicate with people unless you actually take the risk and go talk to some of these people and hope that they'll, you know, lean toward the truth as opposed to completely fictionalize and, uh, and bastardize the work that you've put in. So you would you would just tell people don't don't do this at all, or do you think it's possible to speak so carefully that they can't edit it? Like, because I'm an editor, so I know that it's not possible to speak so carefully that they can't edit it. But you can get good at making it really difficult for starters. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's something that if you're a science communicator, you want to get really really good at. Dawkins is about as good as it gets when it comes to that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think everybody should say no to every show, but I do like the idea of when someone literally tells you to your face, we're lying to the American people with our project and we're trying to use your voice to do that. I think it's appropriate to go, oh, I see. Thank you. Have a good day and walk out. Um, you know, Dawkins avoids sitting down for anybody he smells might be planning to dishonestly use his interview uh, to push a narrative he doesn't believe in. Um, so I think there's a way to, to, to walk the line, if you will. And this is, the, this is, you would say, this is caution he's developed after some of the things that you feature in this documentary? Or What do you mean? What was that question? Do, do you think that, 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 that his cautious approach has been developed as a result of some of the things that happened to him that are oh, featured oh, in the well. documentary? Yeah, no, I, I, it's not our documentary that, that, that turned on that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he, he was well aware of this potential issue early in his career. And, uh, and he, and, and he has antenna on, uh, that, 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 that are constantly probing the air for, for that potentiality. Um, when he interviews with, when he's, when someone's asking for an interview, you know, he has people as well as himself. They do. They do research about uh, about the people making uh, the work that uh, they're asking him to be a part of, so that he can uh, he can find out whether or not he's walking into a trap or not, and he avoids a lot of those traps. It's it's rare that someone uh, gets in gets an interview with Dawkins and uh, a- and they are a nefarious um, operator. It's very rare. He smells them out pretty quickly, and I think he's been well, doing it so long that he's just figured out how to do that. Well, but but, but what you see in science fiction is this was there was this um, Ben Stein's Expelled documentary. Yep, and they asked him, they asked Dawkins, uh, "Can you imagine any circumstances under which intelligent design might be true?" Right, and he's like, "Well, any circumstances." He's like, "Well, I guess if aliens had seeded Earth, you know, had design, you know, had if life had evolved elsewhere in the." universe and then they had come to earth and seeded earth with something biological yeah that's that's something where it could happen but i mean he's like i don't think it's very likely but i mean if you're asking could it have and then they sort of edit it to make it look like this is his theory that he's promoting that aliens seeded life on on earth so right so richard dawkins believes that there may be yeah that's how they did it here's here's the the reason they 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 got him um is because up until that moment, what was the name of that project? You remember the, the expelled ben, expelled prior to expelled. Ben Stein was just a TV host. He didn't seem to be like someone who would be pushing in any way a, an extremist right wing 
uh, uh, religious fundamentalist philosophy. In fact, he's Jewish. Why, why would he? Why would Dawkins think that Ben Stein uh, would be doing something like this? Uh, he didn't, and uh, and and in fact, they didn't. They didn't tell him that it was called expelled. I think it had a different title um, in, in their request to interview him, uh, which is also just fundamentally dishonest. And you know, what, what, thou shalt not lie. What is wrong with Christians? But that's what they. Uh, that's what they did. They duped him. He got duped because Ben Stein was doing the interview with him, and he didn't have any reason to believe Ben Stein was a right wing nut job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Turns out he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we know now, mm-hmm. um, I guess. Although you know, like I say, I'm, I'm so um, I like to think of myself as so rational and skeptical and everything. It's so obviously I don't believe in mermaids or you know. Uh, Bigfoot or any of these things, but the one from your from science fiction that kind of got me was I had I guess believed that Yellowstone was overdue, like quote unquote overdue for an eruption, right? right. And then to see that in in your documentary and say like, oh, I guess I uh, I was more worried about that than I needed to be, and even yeah. with all my, uh, you know, with all my experience with skepticism and well, that's you know, and everything. that's that's because of the news, you know. I mean, the news is interviewing experts who are. Uh, you know, when, when asked, um, when could Yellowstone explode? Um, and, 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 and when the answer was, we don't know, it could be tomorrow, it could be next year, it could be in a hundred years, it could be in 10,000 years, we just don't know. Um, and then all they say is, the headline is, Yellowstone could <laughs> explode tomorrow. <laughs> That's just awful, but you should you, you certainly certainly shouldn't blame yourself for falling for that one. Um, I, I don't know if I knew anybody who didn't fall for that at one point because the news was pushing it so hard. So then, were there any other big challenges uh, making this movie, or kind of like what was the process like of uh, of getting it out to to the audience? Well, um, the biggest challenge we had was getting it insured. All of the dozen different insurance options that we had that were entertainment insurance uh, uh, organizations, all of the, and we went and got a lawyer, we got a team of lawyers to give us notes, let us know what might put us in legal jeopardy, and uh, let us fix those things, show it to you again, and then sign off on it. We went through that process with the legal team, and we got it signed off on by the legal team. And despite that, the fact that we were going after these huge behemoth production companies uh, and pointing out their practices just scared the hell out of them. But in the end, Brian Dunning, uh, who is just amazing, uh, figured out how to actually get, I think, an individual or a group of individuals to back it and uh, underwrite it. Uh, uh, so we have we have legal protection if someone wants to try to sue us, which would be the worst thing they could do. I mean, the, the, you know, our little movie's doing all right. You know, we're going to have, you know, we'll get a few million people checking out our film. But the minute someone brings a lawsuit for us telling the truth about their practices, uh, you got the Streisand effect. So we're, no one's going to do, no one's stupid enough to light that up that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just seems like there's such a, uh, a sort of imbalance between promoting kind of nonsense and promoting skepticism. If, you know, you can promote nonsense all day long with no concerns of that sort. But if you're pointing out that people are spreading nonsense, then you do have to be concerned about that. And it just seems like. Yeah, I wish we had a different system under which these stories were um, were legally um, judged. You know, when, when, when you make a production, you have to buy insurance against being sued by somebody in order to put it up on anything, uh, whether it be Tubi or, or, you know, NBC, ABC, you name it. No matter where you put it, you've got to get, you've got to get it insured so that if someone does want to, uh, claim that you're libeling them or, or slandering them, that you've got some, some insurance, some coverage there. Um, and the, the, the lawyers for, for, for these big, huge production companies, they look at their, their productions 
and they go, uh, you, we can't, you got to fix this. I can see a Pepsi can in this shot. Uh, cause we don't want Pepsi coming at us going, uh, you know, it looks like Pepsi is uh, supporting this project. Yeah. So you got to fix that shot and, and blur out that Pepsi can, but the, the lawyers aren't looking at it going, um, sorry, you, you can't say that mermaids exist when they don't, because that's just not true. That's what blows my mind. It just blows my mind that they're worried about a Pepsi can, uh, and not about the, the truth. That it just it just blows my mind. I, I wish there was a way to get productions to have to um, be honest about the 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 myths and the fiction that they that they push out at the people. But uh, we don't have that kind of system. I guess freedom of speech comes at a cost, and maybe this is one of them. So you don't have any ideas about how things could maybe be. I mean, it seems like if the problem is just someone has to put up the money for the insurance. Could there maybe be some like fun, like skeptical fund, you know, or, you know, some, some funds that private groups put together that anyone who wants to make a skeptical documentary or something could, uh, you know, Yeah, I don't, I, I don't really, I mean, a lot of people aren't doing what we did, right. That's not a, it's not a thing a lot of people are doing. So that would just, I, I think it would just have to happen the way it happened for us individuals finding funders and backers who, who, who want to support this kind of work and saying, all right, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll put up so you don't have to shut up. Um, but I think it would have happen on an individual basis. So uh, th- there isn't a, there isn't a huge market of people making documentaries trying to expose these lies. Sadly. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know of any similar documentaries? I was just literally trying to think of something else and I can't think of, I can't think of another example. I didn't realize we were this original. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I would love to see more stuff like this. I mean, and I do, I mean, because cause I interviewed, um, as I said, I interviewed Brian Dunning back in episode five. So that was back in 2010. So like 12 years ago. And, and even back then he was talking about, oh, I'm trying to put together a, a TV, sh- you know, skeptical TV show. I'm trying to, you know, he'd put together, I think some, it was called like Here Be Dragons. It was like this 40 minute thing that was being used in school. But, you know, it seems like this has just been a long, long effort to to get material like this out to the public yeah well brian's one of the few people doing works like this um there's no question about that he's got a couple different films out that 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 talk about these these kinds of things uh it's right up his alley you know it's what he does by default but um yeah i I can't think of the I, i can't think of the title the other title that he has but uh he's got two films i'm aware of besides ours the one he and i made Oh, okay. I haven't heard. So there's other ones that are out. Other skeptical. Yeah, I cannot things. think. I cannot think of the title. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I, I wish I'll look it up. I'll look it up while we're talking. I'll get. I'll get back to you on that if I can find it. Okay. Cool. Um. I mean, do you think that there's anything that could be done with? I mean, because you say like these production companies, all they care about is making money and stuff like that. Is there anything that could be done? Do you think about shifting the incentive somehow so that? Like, I mean, scientifically, if, if 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 we had some sort of law in place um, that said you can't knowingly mislead the public um, via cable and via airways, uh, then that would be a game changer, I suppose. But that's it's just not something I know about. Principles of Curiosity, by the way, is the uh, is the other film. Uh, it's a, it's a guide to critical thinking, if you will. That's basically what it is. Um, but, uh, it's not similar to what he and I did with skeptic. I mean, with, um, uh, uh, science friction. It's, it's not similar to science friction at all. It's, it's, it's about how to think and why we should think critically. Uh, it's, it's, it's about critical thinking. He's really about educating the public. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely, I'll definitely check that out. I mean, it, it seems to me that it would be hard to have a sort of a law because, because like you say, that would run afoul of the first amendment, but I wonder if there's some way you could pressure production companies to have some sort of uh, code of ethics that they sign on, sign on to that they can't. Well, that, uh, that would be amazing. I, I, I can't imagine how you would get them to do it, but, but uh, I don't think it would run afoul if, listen, it's not, it's, we just watched Johnny Depp sue his ex for saying something that was 
abjectly not true about him in the public. And she lost and had to pay millions. So her freedom of speech was not impinged by that process. And, and that was possible because we have libel and slander laws in place. If we took the libel and slander laws and we looked at them and we wrote a law that was similar in, 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 uh, in, uh, in intent to get people to actually be legally and financially responsible uh, for putting out misinformation, knowingly putting out lies and misinformation, that's not a freedom of speech issue. You're not free to libel and slander. I don't see why we couldn't say, and you're also not free to knowingly mislead and lie, especially if you're in government, for example, but that's another discussion altogether. Well, I wonder if I wonder if someone could bring a. It would be interesting. Okay, so in the in, in science friction, there's this shark scientist, and Shark Week comes to him and and spends two days interviewing him about his his real scientific shark work, yeah. and then they present it in such a way that um, they they've made it seem like he believes in this mythological voodoo shark, and that's what he's talking about, and that's what all the footage is him searching for the voodoo shark and stuff. And that's that, what they did, yep. and that that has very serious potential to harm his reputation, you know, his as a scientist. And so I wonder if he could bring some sort of uh, defamation case. Yeah, I have the same thought. I really, I really wonder about that. I, uh, um, I think it, we one of our interviewees, um, Brian, um, oh, his name will come to me in a minute. Um, he. he he actually so like Matt Maslow or something. Uh, Mallow, Brian Mallow, Mallow. Thank you. Brian Mallow was was saying the same thing. You know, this guy. Uh, how I think at the end of the day, I think the scientific community knows um, the 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 what what goes on there, and I don't think it does harm uh, the scientists' um, uh, reputation. I really don't think it does. Um, but yeah, the, the, the poor guy, man, I mean, what really sucked the most for, uh, for the shark, shark week guy, I'm trying to find his name for you. Give me a second to look up his name, Jonathan Davis. Um, Jonathan Davis was what, what really sucks a lot is, is you're so excited to be asked to be part of, um, a production, uh, like shark week. Um, and be involved in, you know, in, in Discovery's Shark Week uh, extravaganza, and and then you're treated like this. That's that was that, that it really affected him. It really upset him deeply that he had been treated this way, and 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 that he had to find out that Shark Week had turned into this pseudoscience nonsense thing. It just it really was upsetting. Um, you know, he's a science communicator and he just had his had had his feet swept from underneath him by these monsters. <laughs> the real monsters are behind the camera, my friend. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, I, I wonder if, if the the only real solution is really just to continue promoting science and skepticism and make it so that there's less of a market for voodoo shark mermaid yeah, stuff I, I, and more of a mark and more of a market for real science and then also that get get more skeptical minded people into positions of power within these uh, production companies and stuff who who don't want to be involved in these sort of, sort of stupid well yeah and, and, and teaching critical thinking uh you know from 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 first grade on i mean that, that, that's do you remember going to your critical thinking class when you were a kid <laughs> no definitely <not. laughs> that's right that's because it doesn't exist. That's what we need. Uh, we need to teach not kids what to think, but how to think. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Because, because at, at a certain to a certain point, I feel like you know the fact that they're making the mermaids a real show is a problem. But then the fact that people don't have the baseline level of knowledge and skepticism to see this mermaids a real show and just say like okay this seems really suspicious i'm not buying this at all you know those are right. sort of two parallel problems yeah absolutely um i i wonder i wonder if we were a nation of science-minded critical thinking people i wonder if you could make that show 
about mermaids being real. I wonder if you could make that show and still get the same number of views where the viewer enjoyed the entertainment of it, knowing full well that it was pure entertainment and not true. I think maybe so. I really do think so. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fantasy and science fiction author, so I love stories, you know, about mermaids and all that kind of stuff. It's just, right. you know, I always, if you're reading fantasy and science fiction, you always know going into it that it's fiction, you know, it's clearly labeled that right. way. Nobody's confused about that. And why wouldn't it be okay to tell that story and incorporate an aspect of it for the viewer that shows how ignorant we were? You could, you could have all the amazing things going on there and why, why it would be so great to tell that story just like they did but incorporate the the word myth and you know every 10 pages it seems it seems like it's still a fun story to watch knowing yeah. that that people at one point believed this silliness maybe we'll get there one day maybe we will evolve to that one day i don't know yeah, but it would be, I agree with you, it would be so great to just have more critical thinking taught to everyone in society because, you know, you have people, like, even if they're not doing the, the Mermaid Surreal show, you have so much of the media just perpetuating sort of hoax things. I mean, um, you mentioned the Johnny Depp trial. I don't know if you saw, there was this ridiculous, I think it was um, the LA Times, they said that Jason Momoa had testified in the trial, and and he didn't. Like, if you followed the trial at all, you would know he didn't testify at all, but there was this viral like TikTok video that's obviously yeah. a joke, you know, it's yeah. using footage of him from something else with funny yeah. voices and stuff. Yeah. And, and it's just like, how do you, so that there's two problems there. Right. And, and one is just like writing about the trial when you obviously haven't watched it. Uh, but then the other, other is like watching this viral joke video and not being able to tell just right off the bat that this is obviously a joke. Those are like two failures of critical thinking, you know, that are operating. So, so so frequently in the media today. Yeah. Yeah. We're, and we're headed down a bad path too. I mean, um, deep fake video. A buddy of mine, the guy I mentioned earlier in the, in the interview, um, he does voices and they have this technology where he can actually, um, write out a script and perform as, um, Goldblum, is that his name? Gold. Jeff Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, yeah. yeah. And and perform as Goldblum, and there's Goldblum right in front of you on video, but you're hearing the voice um, of of the of this guy who does amazing voices. It sounds just like Goldblum, and it's hilarious. And and if you don't realize that you're watching, you know, a deep fake thing that was made for entertainment purposes. Um, and you do because he's got a channel of doing voices. Um, but you know, if that was a standalone thing you saw, you would think, oh my God, Goldblum really said that stuff. So, you know, with the deep fake stuff they're doing video wise, it's, it's, we're, we're headed down a bad path when this turns, you know, when the, when, when politicians start using this to lie about their, about their opponents. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is definitely really scary. Cause yeah. There's just so much. It's so hard to get people to agree on any empirical fact these yeah. days. Yeah, even there when are it's people on arguing that two plus two isn't two. That's that's all you need to know about where we're headed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't four? God damn it, two plus two isn't four. <laughs> See, they got to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think? I mean, this is. I mean, because like I said, I was really into the atheist skeptical community kind of 2005 to 2010 2012 or so and then I, I got really i got so busy doing this podcast that i haven't been as involved you know i used to be involved with like cfi in yeah. los angeles and new york city skeptics when i lived in new york and stuff like that but I've, I've been a little bit out of it for you know for probably almost 10 years now but um i'm just curious what what you're taking is take on this is that you know you mentioned like that like roe versus wade was just overturned and yeah. When I was really getting into the atheist skeptical stuff, I mean, I was really optimistic that, you know, in 10 or 20 years, we would be living in a country where religion was playing less of a role. In, right. Uh, I did, too. I did, too. I really thought that all of us working so hard in the skeptic and atheist communities were, were having, a, you know, a, a positive effect 
um, on the minds of Americans and, and, and that we were moving in the right direction. We never were moving in the right direction. Religion is always going to win no matter what. It's just there's there's no beating it. It's awful. I mean, it seems to me that, and I, I was, like I said, I was out of it, so, um, th- but this is just my impression from what I hear is, is that the atheist community lost a lot of its energy from just people within, like atheists attacking other atheists over a wrong thing or all kind of stupid squabbles and stuff like that, rather than- We walked away when the woke, um, I'm not a right winger, by the way, I, I'm, a, I'm as left as, as you can get. I tried to be libertarian and I realized that was just pure folly, um, but- uh, no, I'm I'm a left winger uh, to the day I die. But when the woke ideology made its way into our conventions, that's when we walked away. Heather and I were both sickened uh, by the fundamentally flawed regressive thinking of the woke ideology that took over the skeptic and atheist communities. And we wanted nothing more to do with it when we saw that happen. Yeah, so, I mean, it just seems like the atheist community needs... It, it needs organizations that are like laser focused on, uh, you know, separation of church and state and promoting science and skepticism yeah. and kind of having a broad tent for different political yeah. uh, orientations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When, when, when people started um, uh, uh, trying to write up policies for conventions um, that, that really had only one thing in mind, and that is to demonize, um, demonize men and demonize, uh, any kind of sexual interaction between men and women at these conventions. When that started happening, the conventions became about that. They, they, it was no longer about, uh, about skepticism. It was no longer about atheism. They, they they really should have just called them the woke convention 2.0 it was just a mess it's it, it, no interest i have no interest in that that's that our conventions didn't have the kinds of problems that we were suddenly being accused of having um uh at all uh we had these folks come in and then they said they wanted to build a safe space for for you know people who are triggered by certain sounds and words that's not that's not what we were doing. They came in and literally changed, fundamentally changed what those conventions were about. We already have laws in place to deal with people who are acting inappropriately or uh, uh, toward toward women or others or misbehaving in ways that uh, make people uncomfortable. We already have laws for that. We don't need policies and we don't need to turn the operators of these conventions uh, into thought police. And that's what they were doing. I, I mean, do you think that in the wake of just this this devastating defeat for people who want religion out of politics, that it'll cause people to say, "Okay, we gotta focus, refocus on on these policy, you know, on on these sort of separation of church." But the only way, I, I mean, listen, if I don't know yet, I, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. I'm going to have to see if there is a. Um, a landslide against the GOP for taking away the right of a woman to choose. If there's a landslide against that, then I will say yes, hopefully. Uh, that, that, that will be the sign. But we have to watch and see. I don't know. I don't know. We're either going to live under Sharia law in this country for a handful of years uh, until this nonsense can be reversed and rights can be restored to women, uh, or we're just going to become more and more like Iran. And step by step, they'll be taking away our rights. My right to be bisexual will be stripped away and they'll, 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 uh, they'll make it illegal for me to have sex with men. They'll make it illegal for me to, 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 uh, to, to say publicly that I have more than one partner. Um, they'll, bit by bit, they're gonna, they're gonna, if, if there isn't a landslide against this movement to strip women of their rights, if 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 even the right wing women don't step forward and vote down uh, these GOP monsters, uh, then, uh, you know, I, I'll be more happy to be dying in the next 30 years than I would be. Yeah, I, I don't want to end the show on a complete downer. So uh, let me see. If I have, <laughs> let me see if I have another like slightly less contentious question. Oh, OK. okay so. 
I thought this was kind of interesting that, so the, the documentary is called Science Friction. And again, I recommend everyone check it out. It's really interesting. But I heard you say that you had trouble with like, people would try to search for it and it would say like, oh, did you mean science fiction? And then it would yeah. come up. Yeah, yeah. The AI, um, uh, it's going to become another downer discussion, I think. The AI <laughs> was making this horrific uh, assumption that when when they typed in, if you typed in science friction, um, and you got to type the whole phrase in, it would just show you science fictions. It wouldn't even show you our show, Science Friction. Um, and uh, because the AI was trying to autocorrect logically for something, and, and that made no sense. It didn't make sense that you type in Science Friction and not even see our title. If you, if you type Science FR, it'll show you our title. But when you finish the word friction, it would take away our title and show you nothing but science fiction. That was bizarre. Um, We've been talking for years, and Sam Harris has been talking for years about the dangers of AI. And we're already wading into the dangers of we live. We live right now with the dangers of AI. And I know this little example (laughs) doesn't seem to fall under the danger category, but AI is definitely the reason that we've become so horrifically divided. AI set out to divide us incidentally, not on purpose. It's not like the AI was like, all right, our first step is going to get them to get against each other. That's not what happened. What happened was the AI was written to keep our eyes on the screen. And what it found that kept our eyes on the screen was when we got really um, upset. If you could outrage people, they would stay engaged. And outraging people is how they how we end up as divided as we are. Yeah, I mean, people have been talking about all the dangers of AI, but we never knew they were coming for our R's. That was a uh, unforeseen, <laughs> yeah, unforeseen danger. Yeah, no, no, we did. We had no idea that it would that it would start so quickly. I, I really didn't know. You know, I always I was always thinking, you know, this is stupid. We're not going to build a machine that can self-replicate and turn itself into a killing machine when we're not looking and then come kill us all. That's stupid. That's not going to happen. We'll pull the plug. They need electricity. What are you talking about? No, they don't. No, they don't. There's there's way more subtle ways to destroy societies with AI uh, than uh, than than the, the 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 big science friction science fiction way. Even I'm doing it. <laughs> so if somebody wants to watch science friction, or can they just go to they can just go to Amazon and type in science friction and it will come up now, right? Or well remember this. All you have to know if you want to watch science friction is to be or not to be. It's on Tubi. <laughs> but if you don't want to watch it on T Tubi, you can go over to Amazon Prime and pay a dollar ninety nine for it. Yeah, and I—that's I, I, how I, I watched it on Amazon Prime, and I think I just typed in science friction, and and I was able to, and it came right up. So I think yeah, you you is... yeah you you saw it come up before you finished typing it is why oh. <laughs> okay yeah all right so that's the that's the key is just go go to Amazon and type in science science fr- friction <laughs> yeah. yeah there you go yeah the minute you hit that in it's going to take it away and you won't see it <laughs> all right yeah important. Um, important PSA there. Um, all right, so we're, we're all out of time. So, um, do you have any uh, any other final thoughts or any other projects you want to let people know about? Um, I don't have any projects uh, on the on the burner right now. Um, uh, I don't have much to share with you. I know that uh, uh, you can no longer find me um, on uh, TikTok because I got banned, and I'm done with TikTok. There's nothing you can do about it. It doesn't make any sense. The algorithm was wrong and it banned me. I'm not making another account. So if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at Emery Emery II. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're still on Twitter. Last I last I checked. So yeah, I, definitely uh, people can follow you there. Yeah, unless um, they put uh, Donald Trump back on Twitter, I'll be on Twitter. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, so yeah, it was, it was really great talking with you and we're going to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with Emery Emery about his new documentary, Science Friction. So Emery, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, David. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Emery Emery for joining us on the show. 
This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.